gospel means good news, and I think this morning we get to see just another reason why um, it is called the good news. We get to see the scope of the gospel in John 3.16. We've been inching our way through this, uh, this single verse. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. We saw first that the gospel was initiated by the Father's love. Last week we saw that it was paid for by the Father's Son. And this morning we get to see that the gospel is presented, is available to everyone. So think of it like that. The gospel was initiated by the Father's love, paid for by the Father's Son, and offered freely To everyone. Now, I want us to think this morning, there's some really beautiful words. I mean, some really awesome thoughts that are communicated in John 3.16. And there are three things specifically, three words I want us to be able to draw uh, from just this last little portion of John 3.16. That whoever or whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Think about that really awesome word, whosoever, okay? First, think about this. If you're jotting notes down, this is the first thing. The gospel is universal. Meaning that God has extended this offer of salvation. He has extended this free gift to all who would believe. The word whosoever means that there is really anybody is invited and everybody is invited to partake. Think of this for just a moment of the barriers that the word whosoever tears down. It, the, when the word whosoever is used, it reminds us that this is not a regional religion. This isn't something that God is saying or is even suggesting anywhere in the word that the, this particular religion is only good for Israelites. It's not just good for those in the Mediterranean. It's not just good for those who who eat flatbread. It's not just good uh, for those in, in one particular area or region. What he's saying is anybody in the world has the potential, has the opportunity at least, to be able to stand before God and receive this free gift. God has not withheld it from anybody. It breaks down regional barriers. It breaks down racial barriers. You don't have to be a Jew. You don't have to be a Greek. You don't have to be a Roman. It is good for the Jew and for the Gentile alike. I was thinking that there's also a moral barrier that it crosses. Whosoever doesn't just deal with who I am or where I'm from. But it reminds me that it doesn't matter what I've done. Now think about how beautiful that is. Because guys, that really is the crown jewel, I think, in the gospel is that it doesn't matter what I've done. It doesn't matter if I have killed someone. (coughs) It doesn't matter if I've killed many people. It doesn't matter how many times I've done it. It doesn't matter what I've done or how bad it was. That word whosoever means that God in His great love for the world, of which I am a part, extended this offer to even me. That's awesome. There is not one person 
that God would say, you know what? I'm sorry. My, my sacrifice, my son's sacrifice does not cover you. My, my son's sacrifice does not cover sins committed with the full knowledge that it's wrong. My, my, my son's sacrifice only covers first-time offenders, not second. Man, aren't you thankful that there really is nobody too messed up? There's nobody too bad? Nobody too morally reprehensible to be able to be accepted by God? I don't know about you, but I'm thankful for that. It doesn't matter what I've done or how many times I've done or how bad it is. I can go to that word whosoever. Now, here's the, here's the thought. Do we really believe that? Because let me tell you something. That's a big concept. That God will extend the gospel. He will not withhold the gospel from somebody because they have done too many bad things or, or they, they, are, they are horrible in the world's eyes. That God still extends that offer even to them. And that is a huge thing for us to be able to wrap our minds around because, you know, if, if we're going to be honest, we don't always accept everybody. There are oftentimes regional barriers in our heart or racial or ethnic barriers in our heart or moral barriers in our heart. We may come in contact with people and refuse or fail to share the gospel with them because in our minds, they're not whosoever. I really believe if God's offer of the gospel is really sent out to anyone, is, is available to anyone, then we ought to share it with everyone. That's what it was intended. The word whosoever is not just to be. It's not just a message of acceptance. It's not just a, an offer of redemption to anybody. It should also be a message to us. In the church culture. Those of us as children of God. To say that word whosoever did not just save me, but it stands to save others. It's an invitation. It's an encouragement. It is a, a mandate on my part that if God spilled blood for them, then I ought to also share. Let me repeat what I said a minute ago. If God's gospel is extended to anyone, then I ought to share it with everyone. There is nobody that God says is Outside, we sometimes, if we feel in our hearts that someone is too bad, someone has messed up too many times, someone may just have that look. You know what I'm talking about. There's a really ugly phrase. For that type of an attitude. And I think the, the ugly phrase is this. Is that when we start feeling like there are certain people. That are more worthy of hearing the gospel than others. Then we put ourselves as gatekeepers of grace. Think of that. We're the ones that say well you know. I don't know if really you're. You, you should hear this or. I know God says he'll accept you. But you know what I'll just let someone else. Share with you if the gospel breaks down. Regional, racial, ethnic moral lines and for us then shouldn't we also allow those same lines 
to be broken if it has been presented and is acceptable to anyone, then why shouldn't we share it with everyone? If we really love the word whosoever, then it ought to mean that we're going to be sharing with those people that we come in contact with. We're going to not just be waiting for an opportunity for a door open. We're going to be proactive in looking for a door to open. We're going to be doing our very best to open doors to be able to share the gospel with someone, not to be gatekeepers of grace. Second is this. The gospel is conditional. This is awesome because it is a universal condition. Even though it is extended and and available to everyone, the only people that can accept it are specifically those who, what? Believe in Him. Simply because the gospel, the word whosoever, lets us know that it breaks down regional and racial and ethnic and moral boundaries, though there is no boundary that is keeping the gospel in, what the Bible reminds us is even though it is conditional, it is also, or even though it is universal, it is also conditional. You can't receive it on your own terms. You can't receive the gospel any way you want. God has made it clear this is the way to receive the gospel, and it is believed. Literally, that word believe is the linchpin in John 3.16. I believe that that word is the most important word in all of John 3.16 because the consequences of getting it right or wrong are severe. When we hear the word believe, we are forced to be able to define it. We really need to be able to know what that word believe means. Because there's a whole lot of people who believe in God. You know what James says, don't you, in the New Testament? You believe in God, you do well. You believe in one God, you do well. The demons also believe and tremble. The plan of salvation, the word believe, is not simply waking up one morning and say, yeah, I I believe there's a God. Not even just saying, you know what, I believe in Jesus. Guys, I believe my truck will get me where I need to go. But I still carry tools and a spare tire. Okay? This word believe is not just this general term that we think of, believe. It actually carries more weight. It literally means that we would believe to the extent that we will bank our entire life on it. It's like this. You've heard people say before that I don't like Christianity because I don't need a crutch. You've probably heard people say that, that that some people just use Christianity as a crutch. Well, think for just a moment what a crutch does. Okay, a crutch. Some of you may remember I was on a crutch when I first got here, after I first got here. Um. You have, to, you know, under this arm and you use it literally to to work, uh, to, to, to hold your support, to support you at, at a certain moment of using that crutch or those crutches. They literally support every bit of your weight. In fact, for a moment in using those crutches through that cycle of crutching, if you will. Through your crutching, there are seasons that if those crutches fail, you fall. You ever done that? You ever use crutches on ice? You ever use crutches on a wet tile floor? Yeah, if those crutches fail, you fall. 
So for that moment, through that cycle, as you put them down and all of your weight is on those, you are trusting 100% in those crutches to support you. If they fall, you fall. If they fall apart, you fall apart. If they're on the ground, you're on the ground. This word believe really is a beautiful picture of what we do in those crutches. That moment where I am literally supported totally, exclusively by those crutches and my feet are not supporting me. If those crutches fail, I fail. This word believe is not some some rainbows and clouds or wish or desire or simply just this elusive hope. It is this confidence That Jesus Christ came to the earth and lived the perfect life that I couldn't because I'm a sinner. He died on the cross for me. And today, to be able to believe, have a confident hope that because I have recognized I'm a sinner and I know that he was perfect and I trust him to forgive me of my sins and to be my Lord and Savior, to have that belief that I will never die to put literally all of my weight, all of my body on that truth. It is a foundation to build on. That truth is not just something we refer to as believers every now and then. To believe in that manner is something that should occupy more of our mental space, more of this ram here on our neck than every now and then. If I truly believe and am willing to throw all of my weight on that promise, it's going to be in my mind. I'm going to be thinking about Jesus. He's going to occupy my thoughts more than just an occasional here and there. Why? Because my life, my soul, hangs on that. I'm going to be using that truth to build this biblical worldview. I'm going to fall in love with the one in whom I have hung my entire life, in whom everything hinges on. I'm going to want to get to know him. There are going to be certain things that are coming out of my life that are a reflection of him. It's not a religion. It's a relationship. And many of you have heard me say this before, but let me repeat it. Do you realize how much it requires us to believe? I mean, the extent of belief that the gospel requires? Literally, that I would believe that a God I have never seen came to the earth 2,000 years before I was born and sent His Son that I've never met to die on the cross in a place I've never been to save my soul that I can't find and take me to a place that I can't locate. Guys, that requires a lot of faith. But when I believe it, when I can believe that and put all my weight on it, yes, the gospel is universal in its, in its, in its, in its message. Anybody can receive it. There's nobody that God says is not able or is not, excuse me, that he will not accept So long as we believe, yes, it was initiated by the Father's love. Yes, it was paid for by the Father's Son. Yes, it is offered freely to everyone who will 
believe. It is universal. It is conditional. No one can come to me, Jesus said, unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at that last day. We sometimes may think, well, if it's just a matter of believing, I can do that. But Jesus makes it clear in 644 of John. Nobody can come to me except the Father draws him. That God is working within us through his spirit to help us realize that we are lost. You see, as lost people, as morally depraved as we are, as prone to sin as we are, it is impossible for us to detect sin in our life naturally. Sin is the most natural thing we do. And God, out of His great love for us, will send His Spirit to work in our heart to help us realize of our lost condition and draw us to His Son, Jesus Christ. And from that conviction, we call it, we then are able to see and understand Yes, yes, it is true. For by grace you have been saved through faith. We talk about being saved by faith without works, but the apostle reminds us that it is by grace we have been saved, that God has even allowed us and even given us the opportunity to believe, that God has even provided for us this beautiful table of salvation with which to eat and to feast from. The Bible makes it clear that even though we believe, God was there first to make it available. I want you to see this third and final thing. We move from it being universal. It, we see then that it is conditional. But then we see that the gospel is consequential. Love the world so much that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him should not perish. But have everlasting life. What we do with the gospel is of eternal importance. If we hear the good news and receive, believe, and receive that free gift of salvation, we have a promise. We have a promise. And that promise is that I will never die. I will spend eternity with God. Now, I know for some t sometimes it's difficult for us to think of eternal life because I've told you before that there's really nothing in this life that is eternal. We, everything we come in contact with falls apart, breaks, or wears out. Everything. This building, as nice as it is one day, is, is going to wear out. Our bodies, as nice as they may be, they're one day going to wear out. Everything we come in contact with has an end. So for us to be able to understand eternal life really is a step of faith in and of itself. But let me just encourage you on this. The God who created everything we see, okay? In six days, everything that we see in the skies, in the heavens, this earth, He created it in six days. He has been working on my home in heaven for 2,000 years. Guys, that's got to be quite a place. Would you not agree? Six days to make all of this? 
And yet, for 2,000 years, He's been preparing a place for us. You know, this is what I think of eternal life. I don't understand what I'm going to do forever. I love fishing. Getting in a boat on a day like today, probably one of my favorite things to do. Second, third favorite thing to do. It's in the top three. But I can't imagine fishing forever. Even my most favorite activity, I can't imagine doing it forever. But think of this with me for a minute. God, this all-powerful, all-knowing God who made you before you were born, knows every sinew, tendon, every synapse in your brain, knows every cell and every, every little micro-fragment of your DNA, who made you the way you are, made you for a perfect relationship with Him. He made you for a perfect relationship with Him. But sin that began with Adam and Eve and passed down to all of us because we all have sinned, it distorted that. Instead of running to God, instead of having fellowship with God, we saw Him as an enemy and we ran from God, just like Adam and Eve did in the garden. We became separated from God and our minds have been messed up because of sin, especially as it, in regards to our relationship with God. But once I become saved, once I believe, in the sacrifice and the finished work of Jesus Christ. And I become born again, as Jesus says in John 3. I now become a friend of God. That wall of separation is taken away. I have a friend in Him. I can boldly come before the throne of grace. I can walk with Him. I can talk with Him. We are in fellowship. And I know that there is coming a day that when this body gives up, my soul will immediately and uninterruptedly go to be with the Lord who is my Savior. I know that. I have no doubt about that. And all I know is that when I breathe my last and that heart stops contracting for the last time, I know that that soul that I can't find in here goes to be with the Lord Jesus Christ. Who? made me for a relationship with Him. And I, I get to experience a perfect relationship with the God who formed me forever and ever and ever. Do I know what it's going to look like? No. Do I know what it's going to entail? No. But do I know who the architect of heaven is? Yes. Do I know who the man is that made the blueprints for me? Yes. And I know this. That I get to stand in the presence. Literally, guys. That perfect puzzle piece will be placed. Right there. Forever and ever and ever. And let me say this. 
It is the goodness. It is the greatness. It is the magnificence of eternal life that makes the horrors of hell what they are. Hell is what it is because of the absence of what is in heaven. Heaven, we have perfect fellowship, perfect eternal life, Literally, handmade for us by the one who made us by his hands. And yet hell is an eternal existence. Apart, void of the presence of God. Every time we find Jesus speaking of this eternal torment or this place of hell, he refers to it as a place of outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. You don't get that in heaven. Heaven is the place of perfect fellowship with the God who made me and formed me. And there, there's nothing in between us. I behold Him. I love Him. I worship Him. And I can't explain it, but I believe it. But in hell, what makes hell? Hell is not the heat. It's the absence of God. I'm sure the heat is bad. It's the fact that the one that I was made for is unapproachable. That I will forever and forever and forever. Forever. Be apart from the one who loved me and made me. And to know as the Gospel of Luke says that there's a great gulf fixed. So that they that would pass from here to us cannot. And that it would be that way forever and ever and ever. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. A life that will never, ever end. My grandfather was a great man. Great man. I owe a tremendous amount of gratitude to my grandfather. He was not from a Christian family. He... Raised his family because someone shared the gospel with him at a relatively young age. He was selling newspapers on the corner, on a street corner in Joplin. And someone shared the gospel with him. And that man who shared the gospel with him had no idea that that gospel would take root in his life. And Charles would grow up, he would meet Dixie. They would get married and they would have children and they would raise their children in church. My grandfather's decision to raise his family following Jesus Christ had tremendous effects because I'm telling you, not taking anything away from the providence of God, but I doubt seriously that I would be standing right here today sharing the gospel with you.
if it were not the influence of my grandfather on my mother and how God used my rededication. You know what I said the night I rededicated my life to the Lord? I walked into my mother's room and she was laying on her bed. It was late. And I woke her up and I told her what I had done. And I remember my mom said, Jamie, where do you want to go to church? You know what I told her? I said, I want to go to the church that you were raised in. I'd heard so many great stories of my grandfather in the choir and my aunt on the piano. And God used that night, used those stories that were a reality of my grandfather making sure his kids were in church to learn and to grow. God used that church in an amazing way to help me realize the call of God on my life, to help disciple me as a follower, to help give me a pattern of ministry to be able to build my life on. Today, I have two questions for you. First is, do you know? Have you believed with all of your heart that Jesus came to the earth and died on the cross for you? Because you couldn't pay your way to heaven. He paid it for you. And today in your heart to say, God, I believe I'm a sinner. I know it. And today, I ask you to forgive me. I'm turning away from my old life, God. And I'm turning to you and I ask you to forgive me for all that I've ever done. And to be my Savior and my Lord. Have you done that? The second question is this. Who will you and I give the gospel to this week? What guy standing out selling papers on the corner are you going to share the gospel with? Who, whose life is God going to lead you to impact? Guys, your decision to share the gospel can literally impact an entire family tree. This morning, this gospel is what we're about. To receive it and to give it away. And I'm going to ask you this morning to close your eyes with me, if you would. This gospel is not just the most important thing we do but I believe it is the most important thing on the heart of God. If you don't believe me, let me tell you, I can't think of anything else that God sent His Son for except to save the souls of lost folks. And I believe that if it is the most important thing to the heart of God, then I believe as in God's great love for you, I believe that He has literally been orchestrating events to bring you to the place where you are able to believe with all of your heart. I believe that through every, every trial, every challenge, every victory, every win, every loss, God is using that to bring you to the day that you see your need for Him eternally. Let me say this, I don't believe it's any accident that you are in the house of God today if you're lost. I believe it is divine providence and I believe that if you are here I'm convinced that the Spirit of God is drawing you. And I'm going to ask you, if you prayed that prayer for the first time today, right where you were at, praise God. 
Praise God. And I want to ask you as we sing, if you prayed that prayer for the first time today and believed with all your heart, I'm going to ask you to come down here. You know, we say a lot of times, I've said it, I'll say I'm not going to embarrass anybody. Well, shame on me for equating standing up for Jesus as embarrassing somebody. There's nothing embarrassing about that. If you're here today and you know someone who's lost, man, maybe you want to spend some time up on this altar just coming before God and praying. Maybe you want to do it in your own seat. I don't know. Maybe it's a rededication of your life. Maybe you've, you, you, know, you know you're saved, but you know that your life just hasn't been right with God. You've gotten tied up and wound up in some things you shouldn't and it's really taken away, stealing that joy from your life. Whatever decision that is, salvation, baptism, rededication, you want to get it right with God. Maybe you want to come up here and pray. Man, praise God. Let us do the business that God has spoken so clearly on our heart this morning.